have to understand that when an industry is ripe for disruption, that usually has collateral damage and they don't want to talk about it. There's actually identity in workspace. Um, and I don't think I don't think that would have been really something I would have focused on before, but it is very clear when you walk into spaces where people navigate to, both in headquarters too, where they gravitate towards. My opportunity making is a full lifespan of both the customer and the employee, and it never really stops. This is the ProCo 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting ProCo 360 because I love Colorado and getting to know the leaders of Colorado's most interesting and entrepreneurial companies. Today's episode features Josh Freed, founder and CEO of Proximity, a Montrose, Colorado-based workspace management platform. They manage real estate used for co-working, flex space, and now commercial space when companies no longer need all they have. I've asked Josh back, uh, he and I were together, gosh, in, in 2019, uh, but now we're back with this new normal. And uh, so I wanted Josh back to talk about, you know, sort of the difference between what the proximity team was building then, sort of to support this new sector of mom and pop co-working centers and where we are now. It seems the timing was perfect for Josh back then because just as proximity was maturing and WeWork was imploding, the world demand for a reliable platform was growing dramatically. So, Josh, I'm so glad to uh, to be back and catching up with you on Proco 360. Yeah, Dave, this is great. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, my pleasure. And before we begin, I want to give a great shout out to our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings via Technologies and Colorado Biz Magazine. Really appreciate their support for Proco 360. So Josh, let's just, I give you a quick overview. Uh, where would you say Proximity is now as a business and the services you're you're providing? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, so uh, Proximity is... It's very much still the company it was in 2019 when we, when we met. You know, um, the vision for the company actually hasn't changed at all. This was all decided well in advance by the founding group of the company of where we thought work was going to go. So we are still just that company that is here to help activate and make space more accessible. Um, you know, the only thing that's really changed over the years is the time horizon of when we thought a lot of this was going to be possible. That's really what has changed. Um, it sped up like the whole world did. The whole world sped up into a more fluid and hybrid workspace much faster than anybody thought it was even possible. So yeah. we're roughly the same company, Dave. Honestly, like huh. I have more gray hair, as you already note, but still, <laughs> we're still the same company. Well, you know, you you built proximity going back a little bit to your backstory, which you covered extensively in the last episode we did. And, and listeners, I encourage you to go back because it was a lot of fun to listen to that one. But you built proximity primarily for yourselves, right? As a co-working space in Montrose. And would you say there's a lesson for other entrepreneurs? I mean, is that basic core approach? I mean, building something to solve your own problem. Is that something you preach now? Um, I do limitedly, right? All the business books say you should be solving a problem that you you have, right? Um, and, and that's true. Um, I think I would modify that just slightly, that you should solve a problem that you have because you'll know it better, but that that more that has enough people that also have that problem. Um, I would say that I think business is evolving so quickly that there are um, a lot of very small problems and then there are some very large problems. So before you go and build a big business, 
or try to build a big business or raise a lot of funds or 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 hire okay. a bunch of people. Make sure that it's a big problem. But yes, um, we were solving our own problem and our own frustration, and that is a great place to start. Yeah, hey, that's a good way to put it, especially because you know now your website and and I think the the leaning of your company is under this big quote, "Building the Future of Work," which is a big uh, agenda, right? So, Correct. but what you're saying is that really hasn't changed; it's only accelerated. No, it's you know if if there were if the if the listeners were with us, we had rented a place in Moab and there were sticky notes all over the walls. I may have talked about this before, so I'll make this fast. No, that's right. Because, you know, most of the listeners really come on. If they, if they're really interested in the backstory, they can go back. So no need, no need to speed up. Tell us the story. Okay. Well, so we're the founding group. There were seven of us. Uh, We're all sitting in Moab. We had rented this uh, Airbnb and we're sitting there hashing out this company that we were kind of circling around that we're trying to outline these giant sticky notes, right? These like three foot by three foot sticky wall note kind of things were up all over the wall. And it was basically looking at proximity um, for now and the next 10 years at the time for the next 10 years of where we thought this was all going to go. And it all circled around that we thought that the workplace environment was seeing an underlying shift of how it was going to be consumed in the future. And that consumption is partially backed by a world that is addicted to subscription, like, right, your groceries show up, your your TV shows up, everything shows up by subscription at this point, or can, space is moving over to a subscription use of space, that it's not necessarily as rigid as it used to be, that world is moving. Um, Co-working is a great example of that. It uses subscription, the use of space models, much like a gym does. Again, subscription. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's really just that idea that the future of work um, was, was shaking and we wanted to see where it was, what all would be affected by that. So early on, you thought this subscription model of workspace was broader than the limited use of what we then saw as co-working spaces. You saw it as something, a bigger trend. Yeah. Um, it's the cubicle revolution, right? That people are going to stop showing up to the same space every single day for the next 30 years. That's interesting because I talked to commercial real estate people and you can imagine them. Basically, they say, oh, yeah, it might go down a little bit. Companies are still going to use the same amount of space. They're just going to repurpose it as collaboration spaces and all that. I don't know. It doesn't sound like that's what you're seeing. No. And I would say that in an industry, I would say taxi drivers didn't think people would get into black cars that weren't owned by a taxi company either. Um, I, I think that you have to understand that when an industry is ripe for disruption, that usually has collateral damage and they don't want to talk about it. Um, and that's that's where I'd be pointing. Um, I would fundamentally disagree with the statement that um, that there's not going to be, it might go down a little bit. Um, you will probably see over the next five to six years, seven years at the top, 30% of commercial real estate will be in a flexible status, meaning consumed in some way other than a standard tenancy lease, 30%. And I would then say that you're going to have a high percentage, 10 to 15 to 20% of, of com- consumption of space will be on an on-demand status, meaning under a week. So a day pass, I'm coming into a market for a few days only. So I actually think you're looking at more like 40 or 50% of the consumption of commercial real estate will be in some other status than it was two years ago. Now, all right, let me push back on that a little bit because you know you said you made the comment, which I believe in when there's disruption going on, the people who are being disrupted don't want to talk about it. I get it. There's the opposite end of the of the continuum, which is the people who are disrupting it. Disrupting always only talk about it. <laughs> that's right. And that they see that they see that it's like 
the everything to everybody, you know, kind yeah. of a, of a thing. Yep. So fair. is that fair to say that you're more optimistic than may end up being the case? Or do you really like, is that really going to happen? Here's what I think would stop it from being so big. Um, it would stop it if if the control factor, the leverage factor of where you work shifts back to the employer more than it is right now um, in a big way, like yeah. almost back to pre-pandemic. Hmm. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think that once that leverage shifted heavily over to a workforce kind of dictating what yeah. flexibility means, it's hard to get that back. And they're the ones that are going to drive that. Yeah, We talk to commercial real estate, especially to tenants and occupiers a lot. And they, you know, there's a mindset, Dave, that you would lease up a building or lease up a space. You would over lease by X percentage for your expected gross growth over that time period of that lease. I'm going right. to take 25,000 square feet. I actually need 15 right now, but in the next three to five, and if it's not available, then I got problems. So I'm going to lease it all. Then it goes yep. into shadow or dark space until you need it. Well, all of a sudden, you don't even need what you have built out mm, right now. Yeah, yeah, You've got yeah, yeah. 30% utilization and you have 25% more that you never even touched. Yeah, we have a yeah. massive over-purchased real estate market. So I, I think I think I'm going to be more closely uh, aligned with being right than commercial real estate people huh. are right. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Now, one thing I've always wondered is, you know, as you look at people who are, let's say you're an accountant and your company says, hey, we're going to have some level of flexibility. You now need to be in the office three days a week or whatever. I mean, we're hearing this all the time. Yep. And and you live in the suburbs. And so when you're not going doing that brutal downtown commute, uh, maybe you don't want to work at home. Are you going to see do you think, or are you already seeing sort of little suburban pop-up co-working spaces for people who just want to get out of the house, but don't want to drive very far? Um, let me answer, let me answer you this way. Um, there are co-working spaces popping up and have been for a couple of years. Um, you know, 65, 7,000, stuff like that in the U S um, the vast majority of those are not the big enterprise co-working spaces that you see in cities. They're not the WeWorks. They're not the, you know, IWG. They're not industrious. They're not convenient. They're not the big brands. The vast majority of the co-working industry is independent. And the vast majority of that is in suburban or rural markets all the way down, like take suburban, hmm. go further, go into rural markets where you've got yeah, yeah. 5,000 people and you've got a co-working space. I'm really? in a co-working space right now in a town of 1200 and it's full. Wow. So yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, it's almost like a coffee shop could have a co-working space in the back and actually get paid for people to sit around drinking coffee rather than using their space for free. Is that happening? Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, monetization of space is, is there, but I think, you know, remember that like the coffee table or uh, the kitchen table has always been the big competitor for co-working because you could mm. just work at the kitchen table. Um, but we naturally want to be, we being people, want to be around other people at some frequency. And yeah. there is plenty to show that you are more productive when there's more work being done around you. Hmm. That's why people go and work at coffee shops in the first place, right? It's not because they're going to drink coffee all day long. It's because it's, a, it's an engaging environment to get work done as well. So I, I actually think, you know, some of the partners that we work with will speculate that the total number of co-working spaces right now will triple in the next five years with all new spaces coming in to bring in new infrastructure into the future of work. Wow. Like, well, that would be great for proximity. 
for sure. I did it all. <laughs> yeah, of course. Now, uh, let me take a quick break. I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast three years, and also now Colorado's Best Business Podcast the last two years running. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Josh Freed founder and CEO of Proximity. Thanks again to sponsors via technologies. They host Proco 360, which is a pretty data heavy site. So check it out at Proco360.com. Clint and the Via team keep it running really well. Kinsley Meetings, uh, really appreciate them, our longest running sponsor. They have, uh, they've talked about sort of how the whole world of meetings has just emerged with a frenzy uh, after the pandemic. So things are booming. If you need help, call them. Also appreciate our partnership with Colorado Biz Magazine. Really excited to expand our audiences together. Check out Proco360.com to see these sponsors and lots more. So getting back to you, Josh, as things have sort of shifted um, you mentioned, I was going to ask you, like, what hasn't changed about the way people work? And I think you kind of alluded to it already that people want to be around others. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a it's a really interesting question. What hasn't changed? Because God, so much has. Right. Yeah. Um, I would say that the thing that hasn't changed is um, what. How do, how do I put this? What hasn't changed is what makes people work well. So not just how they work of how people work, but how they work well. Um, and that is kind of a fluidity of space and location and state that they're in. And I say that because offices were already trying to shift to allow more uh, diversity in workspace, like um, amenities, details, furnishings, lighting, smells, sounds, everything, mm -hmm. right? Because the fact of the matter is we can't actually do well sitting in one place nonstop for eight hours. It's yeah. terrible. It's a terrible idea, um, but we need to change throughout the day to be in the state that is more conducive to the work we're trying to get done at that moment in that period. And that hasn't changed. And I think that when you look at this big revolution of space that's taking place, all you're seeing is that exponentially growing. It's the kitchen table is still a valid place to get work done. The, the coffee shop still valid. The co-working space, absolutely. Your community office, um, and then your hub or your uh, destination, wherever your headquarters is, is still a very valid location to have work done, but it's just, it's no longer like a binary, it's office or nothing. Yeah, it's, yeah. That hasn't changed. It's just gotten bigger. It seems like people are migrating to the workspace that in which they feel most productive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Most comfortable, uh, what they identify, they, I mean, what's, what's fascinating, Dave, is I don't think until over the last, like, let's say 18 months that you could take workspace and actually say that people are going there because they can identify themselves better inside of that workplace. They find their contemporaries, they find the energy they're looking for. They find the ambiance they look for. There's actually identity in workspace. Hmm. Um, and I don't think, I don't think that would have been really something I would have focused on before, but it is very clear when you walk into spaces where people navigate to both in headquarters too, where they gravitate towards. Yeah. Something they that's identify. a fascinating, that's a fascinating phrase, you know, identity in workspace. You guys it may need to find its way to your website. That's know, right? really, I'll, I'll make a note in a minute. <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. And it, it really does. I think a, it does a solid job of explaining sort of how people have transitioned and maybe why business leaders shouldn't force people back 
to a place where they don't identify with their most productive selves. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. All right. Enough of my speech on that. Well, no, I Um, think I do want to put on something you said to like uh, force them to adapt to it. And I think adaptation is actually like, if I had to put like, what is the future of work? Cause you brought that up a minute ago. Like the future of work is adaptation. And I, I, I had this written on a wall a little while ago, like the definition of adaptation, I was trying to process something like the act of a process of changing to better suit a situation. And that's the future of work. Like it's adapting to better suit a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes the space to better suit somebody. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. But you know, the idea that different people are suited to different kinds of things. And so the idea that companies now need to adapt so that their employees can find themselves in the most productive space. And maybe, maybe that's why the, the, the feared dip of productivity when people worked at home never came to happen. People adapted, found where they wanted to work and worked. You know, what a, what an interesting concept that maybe companies will actually have to be adopt to be people companies. And remember that they're there to service people, both their customers and their employees. And you can't treat everybody the same way. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because back when you and I first talked, um, I, I'm going to play a clip for you because you, I asked you about selling and the idea that, um, you know, proximity was growing quickly. I'm going to play a clip for you. And I wanted to get your take as to whether things have changed. We don't actually have a sales team. We have a relationship team. The team's entire goal is just to make relationships with spaces, just to get to know everybody. And those that decide to use us, they will ask us for that product. They will ask us to be customers. That's wonderful. If only I'm sure companies just everybody listening would be like, oh, we just want customers to choose us because they want us. I mean, has <laughs> that has that changed for you guys? Or are you still just um, sort of attracting with charm and charisma and functionality? Well, God, I hope it's not charm and charisma because otherwise we have a problem. <laughs> but um, functionality, that works. Um, you know, it's fun to hear that because we have a small team, right? We're still a small Colorado team. We have hundreds of customers. Um, we are known throughout the commercial real estate industry, throughout workspace and headquarters and in co-working. And yet we're this small team. We have a um, customer success team that is designed around um, getting to know our customers first, figuring out if we're a good fit first before you just sell to them, which is not something known to be uh, kind of prolific in our industry that you would actually make sure it's a good customer first. Um, and then at that point, just making them successful. Um, so I would say the only thing that's probably changed over that time period, just to be honest, is um, in co-working, that's a community-minded customer, the our customer, much less theirs. But that's a community-minded organization that you have the time to get to know. That's unique. Co-working has lots of unique features, and that's one of them. Um, when you start talking about headquarters, Um, that target customer for us, we spend a lot of time educating and trying to work through the problem because they are the ones that really have been disrupted heavily. Headquarters has been Mm -hmm. ahead of people, ahead of HR, IT. All of a sudden they're like, what do you mean we have to make things schedulable? And how do I get people in? Like it's really, so we spend a ton of time. They were your customer. They weren't your customer three years ago, were they? Correct. They weren't, they weren't ready for it. And I didn't think they were going to be ready for another five years. Um, so now all of a sudden we spend a lot of time just talking through the problem, giving solutions, giving education, um, and then commercial real estate, 
we really spend a lot of time forecasting what is possible. So I would say that we are not hard salesmen. We do not have a fleet of enterprise software salesmen that are out peddling software. It's not our game. And it is. it shows up, we get the reward from this because it shows up in a very low attrition rate. Customers don't leave proximity. Um, not saying we haven't lost customers. Of course, every company has, but it is rare for somebody to leave us because we take the time to actually get to know their business and what will be successful for them. We care about them staying with us for three. I mean, we still have six-year-old customers at this point that are still in the system. Still, we still know them. They still have my cell phone yeah. number and we still talk. Huh. That's cool. And I've noticed too, as you've evolved, your your pricing mechanism has changed mm-hmm. A lot, you know, I mean, almost like pendulum swung back and forth. Let's make it cheap. Let's make it per person. Let's do it. You know, what, what, what gives are you on? What's that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What gives? Um, Yeah. You know, I think, well, one, you have to continue to evolve as a company, right? We have investors that we have to take care of and have a fiduciary responsibility to. We have um, stakeholders within our employee base. Uh, we have customers that we're an infrastructure software. We have to stay open. You can't collapse, right? This is People rely on this for their business. Um, so we continue to evolve our pricing to see what makes sense as the market evolves. And there's also something that, that I wanted to get our company to get comfortable with. And that is um, change is absolutely necessary. And there's a point where you go from the value software and the like the really inexpensive, I can get the job done, I like them, to a premium software where, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that proximity has, in our industry, the largest feature set of of capability in a single platform, period. It is the biggest platform in the industry. That took five and a half years to build, and it takes a team to support. And at a certain point, you move to more of a premium service. Now, we still have entry points for the smallest co-working space to the largest headquarters to come in and interact with us because we don't mm-hmm. actually want to exclude anybody from a price point. Um, and I think it's it's worked well, but man, that pendulum, we've mm. gone all over the place to try to find. Um, the last thing I would say is in our first customer, our, our first customer co-working, right? That was a brand new industry. So even figuring out what price point you should be at, there's yeah. almost no research on it. So you're really kind of feeling your way in the dark to see like what fits. Well, and you also, I mean, it is a software platform. So ultimately that only works if you get a foundational number of customers. And right. so, you know, I think it's it's probably common for, for companies to charge a little at first, get traction, build base, and, you know, yeah. uh, that sort of thing seems like it would make sense. Yeah. And our customers, you know, every time we do, we do price increases. Of course, our prices continue to increase. I'm sure every listener on here has felt some price increase somewhere in their world. Um, But uh, even with that, we won't see customers. We just got done doing another price increase and we won't see mass running away from the software because we're still a great price for a great software. Yeah. Now you've done other things too, to build sort of this, this um, community that you serve. They serve their communities. You serve your community of customers. And as you've grown, you started to support them with even things like the school of co-working where you've got videos, instructional things on your website. Um, it seems like that also positions proximity as the leader in the industry. Would you say that's true? I would say that's my goal. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that I think we are. Um, we benefit. So that community relationship thing that we keep circling around in this conversation. Yeah. 
there is benefits to that in that we actually have a relationship with our customers more than we charge you, you use us. We know you, we know you just had a baby. We know you just got married. We know you had something happen. We know you and we will call you and we will talk, which means we also know your experience. So when we put this big network together and the school of coworking is a lot of surfaced education and institutional knowledge that we are making it easier for the next generation of co-working spaces to come up to speed and mature this industry. Um, so it's kind of a natural evolution for us to yeah. surface the leaders of this. I mean, I can pull in a hat and pull out 500 leaders in co-working and say like, hey, what do you know best? So yeah. it's, it really is, yes, we want to be the leaders in it from, from an industry standpoint, but more we just don't want this knowledge to stay locked in a silo. We wanted to get it out so the industry matures. Yeah. And, and the beauty is most of them aren't competing against one another. You've got one in Iowa who's advising one in Arizona. Who's advi- you know, I mean, it's, well, it's easy to share ideas in that way, right? It is. And keep in mind from a competition standpoint, um, co-working could be defined as like early restaurant competition at this point. More sure. restaurants doesn't equal less diners. It equals more diners. It's the opposite, yeah. right? So yeah. more workspace equals more workers, more options. Yeah. Well, let's, so. you, you mentioned the... Um, uh, the community aspect of what you're doing and, and what do you think is some of the success you've had at proximity in helping your clients build this notion of community within their own operations? There have been a couple, more than a couple instances of resistance to community in general that like, it's more of a commodity, right? Community or commodity kind of those two hands. What do you mean by resistance? By who? Um, just like not understanding the idea that, um, uh, well, look, take proximity as a network, right? That we will get pushback from time to time and says, oh, your network, which means my people could work from that space or they could work from this space. Mm. I was like, you're right. But if they left your space to go to another space, they weren't your customer in the first place. They were somebody else's customer waiting to find the next, per- the ne- next place to work. So the idea that like to develop community you know, there's lots of buzzwords about like, what does community mean and all that? To me, all it means is like that person across from you is a human and it's okay to talk to them and to form some sort of a relationship with them uh, and do that at scale, learn who's around you, enjoy the fact that you're around people um, and that everybody is actually in the people business. A hundred percent of companies are in the people business and we forget that from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, listeners, a reminder, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Josh Freed, founder and CEO of Proximity. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. Um, kind of winding down, Josh, a uh, couple of things to you. Uh, before I move into our, our full wrap up, I had one thing I was curious about, which is that one of the one of the topics you share with your customers is marketing tips for co-working. What are a couple of examples? I mean, are, what are what are co-working spaces, the mom and pop, the indiv- ind- independently owned? What are they doing to attract customers? Well, a lot of the spaces right now are just staying open, which is really a great, <laughs> they're busy. This because they're full right now. They're yeah, full. yeah. Wow. Um, they're full, which is wonderful. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing that I would, that I would point towards for that industry, for coworking in, in particular about um, successful tactics is um, getting in front of the companies that are already struggling to get their um, employees to come back or to trying to figure out what's next 
it's a good co-working and community co-working spaces like neighborhood co-working spaces Mm -hmm. are a good stepping stone to kind of bringing people back out of their houses. You know, I never thought of that. That's kind of, it's like a bait. It's you're bringing them back into a, a, into an interactive space. So, you know, conference rooms, I, I, and I've, we talked about this, uh, a group and I talked about this, like conference rooms, meeting space, team rooms, those kind of things where small collaboration can start so that people can remember, because this is two years of isolation, really. Yeah, yeah. People can start remembering what it's like to interact in person versus over Zoom. Wow. It's different. So it's so like baby back, steps back to baby back steps to what back it was. To the place. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, baby steps back to work, Dave. <laughs> oh no! All right, so uh, let's talk about. I mean, it has been a few years since you and I connected. Almost a few. You know how uh, back then you you really were a culture first leader. You talked a lot about culture. Uh, you've now mm-hmm. since been awarded the most influential CEO. So maybe you don't talk to your people anymore. I don't know. But uh, you have more, <laughs> you have more gray hair. But how have you changed in your role as leader? That's twice you brought up gray hair today. I'm just no, once was before we started. Oh, okay. Well, the listeners need to know that I got hit twice with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I. I have definitely evolved as, as uh, in my role, um, you know, early on, my role was to one, find investors, right? Sell the story, um, find good people that hasn't changed, but then it was also to sell, right? Um, when you're starting a company, those early founder sales are really necessary. Um, what I've discovered in I have fumbled any of my team that listened to this. I'll just say, I'm sorry. Uh, I have fumbled more times than I have carried the ball successfully. Um, and I don't do sports analogies very well. <laughs> um, but uh, I, what I have learned is I've changed from, I'm still a salesman at heart, but I've changed from a salesman to an opportunity maker. Um, and my role has evolved to, I make opportunities for our customers and I make opportunities for our people. Um, and that plays out in lots of different ways, uh, making connections to make their jobs easier, to make the customer uh, more excited is, is an obvious one. But then all the way down to the little thing like uh, when when somebody's ready to leave proximity, when a, when an employee is ready to leave, that the opportunity making doesn't stop there, that you don't have your employees indefinitely. You They're gracious enough to give you their time for a for a definitive amount of that. And then at that point, they need to move on. And your job as a leader is to help that next stage. And that is one thing that I've that I've really focused on is that my opportunity making is a full lifespan of both the customer and the employee, and it never really stops. Um, and that, that took a long time to come around to, but really has helped us be successful in both onboarding customers and employees and offboarding customers and employees. Yeah. I would think that, that that's a, an aspect of culture that your people and your customers can see and know that there's a level of authentic sort of approach to how you actually live that they can choose to accept and and embrace or you know if that's if that's their nature yeah i hope so you know we we focus and we always have we focused a lot of our efforts towards our people right they are especially our staff comes first and everybody else will be just fine if they are fine um, our focus towards, especially as our staff is getting a few years down the road as well, too. Most of them have been here the entire time. Yeah. Um, you know, they're really most continue. have been there. Most have been there the whole time. We have a lot of people that have been here for four or five years at this point, mm. um, which is fun, but their lives evolve. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think that part about the leadership side, um, 
is is something that's been really interesting for me to to um to embrace and to figure out where I fit in with that. And culture, you know, we just went through another exercise and I would encourage anybody that's in these organizations. We just went through another exercise of trying to identify and and kind of uh define values and culture and they change over time. I was a big proponent of audacity. Um and the way that I would have defined that is that we do big things and we have big visions and we don't, we, you know, we're just that audacity, we breeds into like everything we do. And I think it sounds really good, but I don't think it amounts to much. And when we kind of nix that out of values and we instead went to the idea that um, we do meaningful, deliberate, um, thoughtful um, actions that actually matter to us and to the people we do business with. Um, and because meaningful can be very small too. And the very small things actually have a lot of meaning to them. Like we find out somebody had a really great year and we call them. We don't have to go over the top, but we call them and congratulate them. Um, meaningful things can be small. And I think that that's where I needed to readjust us to like, we don't need to be so grandiose about everything we do. We just need to be intentful about it all. You know, that's, uh, that to me when you when you were describing that i thought okay that's sort of a process of maturing as a leader as a business and so forth but i mean isn't that notion of audacity isn't what that what attracts you know sort of young excitable people to a business to begin with um maybe and i think i don't think there's any yes or no to that question um I think our workforce has evolved to the point that it won't attract nearly as much as it used to. I think the hype around business is fading into the thoughtfulness and authentic side of business. And I think it's, you know, we would have thought this was like the newest generation coming out, but we have not the newest generation of employees in our company as well too. And they will prefer authentic, meaningful connection and company actions way more than, um, you know, what is the, it was her go fast and break things. Not that there's not a time period for that, but I'm just, I actually think there's a, a systemic change to, th- to um, authentic companies that would point you to not be so audacious. Not that you don't, not that you can't do big things. I don't want to say that we don't, we want to do big things. I want to take over the world when it comes to this. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, I don't think you, I don't think it's as easy to attach to that as you are to, we want to do meaningful things. That's pretty thought provoking. And I, I know I, I like that. And I think, I think, um, I think saying that and being different uh, about that and defining the difference between doing meaningful things and having audacity, I think probably um, perhaps attracts the kinds of people who are at proximity and that you want to keep at proximity. I think that would be, that's a fair, that's a fair statement. Yeah, we, we definitely, and we are very careful about who we hire because we take them in and they are family. Like our newest employees will tell you, like it is, we do things very specifically and it's because we really, I'm very thankful for all of our employees. I actually, I don't view that as, um, as anything more than I'm, I'm very thankful that they give us their time. They're very talented people. They could work anywhere in this world and they have chosen to work with this team at proximity. And that never skips me. Every time I get to talk to them, I'm like, I don't know how, and I don't know why, but thank you for coming to work with us. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. So I'm going to wrap up. 
I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Josh Fried, founder and CEO of Proximity. It was great, Josh, to have you back on and kind of catch catch us up on sort of what's happening. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I'm so glad to get to do it again. And it reminded me just how much fun I had the first time and it didn't disappoint this time either. So uh, cool. Yeah, listeners, this is how it works. It's a great entrepreneurial community in Colorado. Glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. And in this case, Montrose, Colorado on the Western Slope. Again, Josh, that's so cool that, you know, it's not just the front range, right? Where great things are being done. That's great. Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, we can sit out and look at the mountains. I we never get on calls where people say, where are you from? And I say, well, we're in Colorado. And they're like, well, that must be terrible. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) We live (laughs) where people vacation. We love it. Yep. Hey, listeners, you make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review in your app. Thanks again to our show sponsors, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's a wrap. Live and work. Love Colorado. Colorado.